You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. And this is the big idea in our Ephesians passage for today. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. Or a different way in saying it would be, when you know who you are, when you understand who you are, it changes how you live. It changes how you act. It changes how you behave. Have you ever bought a tool, but you misused it? That ever happened to you? Or maybe you had a tool in the garage and you just kind of like, oh, I don't even know how to use this. Let me just try it for whatever. Or you just simply didn't know what's it for. It really helps to know what a tool is for so you know how it functions, so you can use it properly, right? I worked in construction for quite a few years, and, and the stories that you hear and the things that you see are endless, and they're pretty crazy. Um, I had a friend who worked in framing, and he bought a, a brand new framing gun, right? Now, if anyone knows anything about framing or framing guns, they are pretty big, right? And, and you would know that you can use pretty big nails, right? Uh, even three and a half inches, even four inches long. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty big nail, right? Uh, and it can do some damage if used on anything other than wood, right? I mean, for example, a body part. It can really hurt, right? So my friend thought that he could just modify the gun. So it completely changed how it fires, how it fired the, the nails, right? He took the safety guard off, of course, a lot of people do that, and some other component in it so that it bypasses some safety steps, just so he could save time and work faster, right? One sunny day, he was on the roof of, of the house with his crew, and he was chatting very casually with a friend that was visiting his construction site. And he was super casual. And as he was holding the gun, not by the handle, just by the hose, and just kind of swinging it, you know, just kind of talking, just swinging the gun, you know, by the hose, back and forth. And, uh, and he really got close to the knee, right? Uh, and, and it took a few seconds for the tip of the gun to find his kneecap, right? And because he didn't have some safety things on his gun, and once the tip of the gun touched the kneecap, the gun went off, and a three-and-a-half-inch nail went right through his kneecap. Yeah, pretty crazy. And all the pain and all the blood and all the going through emergency and all the therapy and all of it because he completely changed the identity of the gun, right? He modified some stuff, right, to bypass some safety steps so he can actually work faster. He basically changed the identity of the gun. It wasn't the same gun anymore, and it became really, really dangerous. Now, the big idea of, the, of our passage for today is that we need to know our identity in Christ. We need to know that. And any other person, any other thing that we find our identity in, apart from Christ, just like my friend's gun, can be very dangerous for the soul. It can. And not only that, it, it's deceitful, and it can really lead us astray. But, but, but our passage today stresses the fact that we need to know our identity in Christ. We need to understand our identity in Christ so, so, so that, we, need to, uh, uh, so that we, we know how to act and how to behave. We need to know who we are, and once you know who you are, once you understand who you are, man, that changes your life. Your behavior changes, and everything in life changes. And if it doesn't change you, let me just put this, let me just throw this out there. If it doesn't change you, then it probably means that you're not who you say you are, meaning a genuine Christian. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, because if your faith doesn't change you, the reality is that your faith hasn't saved you, all right? Now, we have in front of us this beautiful passage, man, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And first, Apostle Paul will talk about the old us, right? And we got that right, right as I was reading it, old us, old you, old me, right? Uh, so bad news before good news, and we're looking at the old, old you, old me, old us, right? And if you're not a Christian, that's you. Uh, and if you're a Christian, that's your old you. And if you became a Christian 15 minutes ago, that's you 15 minutes ago, right? Now, the first three verses in our passage talk about the old us, 
17 to 19, just to kind of give you a kind of a overview of where we're going here. And the following five verses that we're going to look at today talk about the new us, the new you, the new me, the new us. So let's take it verse by verse. So here's what God says through Paul. We already read it, read it but um, we're going to go verse by verse. So here, here's what God says through Paul, verse 17, talking about old us, old you, old me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Really quickly here, what's a Gentile? Just so we're all on the same page. Basically in the Bible, the Gentiles are the people who do not know God, do not obey God, do not, do not uh, love God. The Bible is referring to the Gentiles as people who are not in relationship with God, right? Just to, just to kind of throw that out there. And Apostle Paul says, you can't walk like that anymore. Guys, you just can't walk like that anymore. And Paul's going to use uh, uh, this metaphor of walking in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6. In chapters 1 to 3, he talked a lot about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and who we are in Christ and all the blessings that we have in Christ. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, there's a transition, and he talks a lot about how we walk in light of these truths. I think even Flo, um, last week, he, he made that distinction, 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6. So Paul is pretty much saying when you become a Christian, you just can't walk in that same direction anymore, in the same direction that you used to walk before you became a Christian. You can't. Things need to change. They need to change. Now that you're new, you need to live a new life. So let me ask us this question. Now that we're new, are you still walking in the same path that you used to walk same habits same sins same beliefs same way of doing your taxes same way of talking to your wife right maybe same relationships some of which aren't really helpful and what paul is saying is you can't walk in that direction anymore because that's a direction away from christ that's away from obedience that's away from holiness right it's a path that leads back to death why would you do that and that's the exact opposite of who you say that you are. If we continue with the verse, uh, verse 17, it says, and I'll read the whole thing again. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, right, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, we cover that, in the futility of their minds. He's getting specific, like how do Gentiles walk, right? He's getting very specific, in the futility of their minds. Now, immediately, some people, uh, none of us here, in reading this are going to think, I don't think it's a big deal. Like, really? I don't necessarily need to change and live differently? Like, come on. Well, well they think like that because their minds are futile. Well, well I, don't, I don't think that, you know, this is such a, this is not a problem. Come on, no, no, because your mind is futile. That's why you think like that. Well, see, I've been studying this book, and I'm reading it, and written by a guy whose mind was futile, right? Well, I, I talked to my friends, and they, they said it's really not a big deal. They're Christian. They've been Christian for 50 years and, and because their mind is futile. Paul is basically saying their head is broken. Their mind does not work properly. See, we're supposed to think God's thoughts. Amen. But if we don't know God, if we're not connected to God, if we're not connected or filled with the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the mind of God, our thinking is futile. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It just means that you're wrong. Now, some people may think that is extremely offensive. How dare you? Really? Right? Well, eventually, they are going to kill Paul. Now we know why. <laughs> right? Because he's super offensive. Because we live in a world that wants to hear you're smart, you're very insightful, and God agrees with you no matter what you do, and here's, he's here to give you whatever you want. And then a guy like Paul shows up and says, actually, your mind is not thinking God's thoughts. Uh, your mind is broken, and it doesn't work properly, just so you know. He goes on to say in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. If you think that was offensive, he's, he's really getting at the heart of it now. They are darkened in their understanding. When's the last time you were in the dark? We used to play hide and seek, complete dark. It was crazy. 
the things that would happen, right? Do you know what you see clearly in the dark? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You can't see anything clearly. If you're walking away from Jesus, if you're walking as a non-Christian, if you're not connected to the life of God, your thinking is futile and your understanding is darkened. That's just the way it is. And you say, well, no, 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 I don't see it like this. That's what people in the dark say, right? But you're not seeing it clearly. Your understanding is darkened. I believe that we live in a very interesting time, <laughs> in a day and age where we'll redefine and repackage everything, right, for the sake of tolerance, diversity, pluralism. And Apostle Paul would say, no way. They're darkened in their understanding. The reality is that the difference between Christians and non-Christians, and more specifically, the difference in mindsets is as big as light versus darkness. We can't just say, well, I'll just think a little bit differently than you. No, no, no. We're talking about a difference as big as right and wrong, life and death. That's the difference that we're talking about here. And by the way, let me just make this point as well. The Bible says that part of worshiping God is loving God with all of your mind. Remember Matthew 22? Part of the, the change that can come into our life, my life, your life, is by not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans, right? Problems of activity, problems of actions, problems of behaviors start with problems in the mind. That's always the case. It always starts in the mind. That's where the battle goes on. You think you're right, but in fact, you're wrong. You think you're in the light, but in fact, it's dark. You think it's okay, but in fact, it's not. Futile minds darken understanding. What happens then is people come together, and we see this a lot in our, in our generation, and they reinforce one another. Well, it looks, it looks that way to us. That's what we all think. That's what we all want to do. We took a vote and we're the majority, so it must be true. No, no, no. Not if God shows up and says it's dark and it's futile and the whole view of reality here is corrupted. Okay? As we move on, let me ask this question. Maybe you're thinking about it. Why is it that people's minds are futile? Why do you think that people's understanding is dark and like he's kind of explaining here? Why is that? Well, the answer is in verse 18, right after Apostle Paul says that their understanding is darkened. I love the progression here. It's so beautiful. He says, because they're alienated from the life of God. Simple. What does this mean? Well, it means that they have disconnected themselves from God who made them. Well, we see that today, right? And he's the source of life. He's the source of truth. He's the source of, 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 of light. Alienated means that they're citizens in another kingdom at war with our king jesus that's what it means it means that they've wandered away from their homeland now they're strangers and some people would say i'm a good person actually i would say if you're living your life alienated separated from god that's the root of all sin right that's the worst sin of all no matter how good you think you are this is like a guy who says, man, I walked out of my family and I abandoned my wife and my three kids and, and they're all like under five, but I pay my taxes and I'm a good citizen and I don't jaywalk. I live a good life. Uh, what did I miss there? <laughs> yeah, no. No, you have abandoned the loving relationship that you were called to in your whole life since that decision is separated from God and from, from your responsibility of a, of a husband and a father, which means whether you do good or bad, it doesn't really matter. The entirety of your life is going in the wrong direction away from your family. <laughs> See, when we sin, we turn our back on God and we live a life alienated from God. And it doesn't mean that you're not spiritual. Many people, in fact, are very spiritual. Spirituality is what I believe guilty people do to pretend that they're not alienated and separated from God. Well, let's continue with verse 18. It's going really good. Don't worry, we're going to get to the good news, the, the new us. We're, we're getting there. But he, he, he really he wants to just take this a little bit further. So just hang in there. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, right? We just looked at that. Alienated from the life of God, we looked at that, because of the ignorance that's, that is in them. Did you hear that? 
they're ignorant. They're ignorant. They don't know that Jesus is God. In other words, they don't know what he said. They, in other words, they don't know that he died and rose. In other words, they don't know that hell is coming and salvation is a gift. They don't know. They don't know that. And some people at this point may say, well, they're just victims lacking information because that's what ignorance is, lacking information. They're just victims, man. Come on. You're so off- How dare you? Well, let's continue with the reading of the verse because I think that it may address that too. Due to the hardness of heart. Ah, okay. Their hardness of heart. Do you have a hard heart? When the Bible talks about the heart, it speaks of the heart more than 900 times. That's pretty big, I'd say. It's a mega theme in in scriptures. And maybe in the simplest way, this is how we can define the heart. The heart is the seat or the sum or the center of who we are. And a heart that's tender towards God will say, tell me the truth, God. I may not like it, but tell me. I want to change. I want to learn. I want to grow, right? But a hard heart says, it's not what you want, God. It's what I want. It's not what you think, God. It's what I think. It's not what you see, God. It's what I see. And I simply don't want to change. And I simply don't want to worship you as God. I want to run my life the way I want to run my life. And I could care less about your principles and Bible and people and all of that. Have you ever met someone with a hard heart? Now, sure, we can be at different levels at having a hard heart, but have you ever met someone with really a hard heart and it really came out? It was really obvious. They interpret all data in a very twisted and negative way. Did you notice that? And they always spin it so that they are innocent and you are guilty, right? And they always turn it in such a way where they are the victim and you owe them always. And people do this all the time with God. That's how they treat him. I'm right. You're wrong, God. You failed. You owe me. I disagree with you. You need to change, God. Maybe even in your book, the Bible, man, I found some errors in there. Yeah, you know, and along, in our day and age, along comes a parade of teachers and professors and politicians and even pastors who say, hey, well, we have decided that futile minds and darkened understanding leads to a good income stream because there's a huge market for those with hardness of heart, right? It's the world we live in. It's pretty crazy. Is your heart hard towards God? Are you angry at him? And it doesn't have to be super obvious for everyone to see. It could just be a little bit. Are you frustrated with God? Am I frustrated with God? I'm asking that because if we continue with verse 19, Paul says, they have become callous. Have you ever become callous? Let me ask this. Any of you play guitar or play an instrument? No, Zoeana does, obviously. Chris, okay. Lucas, have you dropped that playing guitar thing? It just, wow, it just came to my mind. It was so random. You have, okay. <laughs> um, not just playing guitar, but, you know, swinging a hammer, or you're a tradesman, or you're gardening, or you're a cook, chef, artist. You work with your hands a lot. Now, why, why am I saying this? What happens is prolonged pressure upon a point over time leads to a callus, right? And what used to hurt, all of a sudden, it doesn't hurt anymore because you become, you become callous. They have become callous. That's what the Bible says. People, if they are honest, they usually say something like this, you know, you know, when I started doing this lying thing or this clicking thing on this website that I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, be uh, watching, it really bothered me. I was really convicted in that time, right, for a few months. I used to feel really guilty after I did that, but, but, but now maybe God's okay with it because I don't feel guilty anymore. That's a calloused heart. And it's, it becomes callous over time. No, it's... Not that God's okay with it. It's that you've developed a callus. You've become dead. Or part of your heart is dead. I mean, a callus is, as I understand it, oftentimes, literally, it's just a collection of essentially dead skin. That's what it is. Is there a dead spot in your soul? Right? Where it doesn't hurt anymore when you do that thing, right? 
It doesn't bother me. I'm not convicted by it. I don't want to change. I don't, I don't think it's wrong. It's not a big deal. God doesn't care, right? Oh, let me tell you that he cares. You're just calloused. You're just calloused. And people that are calloused, they usually say, say stuff like, that's just the way I am. I got to be true to myself, right? That's never a good idea. That's when you're sinking fast and going under. That's a scary place to be. Hopefully, a Christian friend sees you and pulls you out through prayer. Let's continue with verse 19. They have become callous, right? We just talked about it. And have given themselves up. Let me ask you this question. Is there an area in your life where you've just given up? Maybe you say stuff like, man, we're newly married and we yell at each other all the time now. We just had a kid and just so much pressure and it's a hard season, so I've just sort of given up on my marriage. Or I just hit midlife crisis and I'm allowed, I get to give up. Church, if we give up, we will certainly give in. We give in all the, to all kinds of sins and temptations because we've just given up. Is that you? Is that me? What I'm going to say next may, may be a hard, hard truth to swallow, but, but, but if this is any of us here, and I hope not, you may not even be a Christian. Check this out. God knows your heart. I don't, right? This is, this is God. But if you're reading this list, this progression, and saying, wow, this sounds similar. This is me. He's actually talking about non-Christians here, not Christians. Truth be told, Christians can fall, yes, into some of these habits and behaviors, but a, a Christian is the one who still has a tender heart and says, man, man, I know it's wrong. I want to change God. I'm not right with God, and, and things are bothering me for the non-Christian. They're callous. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really bother me. That's a problem. That is a huge problem. Let's continue with verse 19, the remainder of verse 19. They have become callous, right, and have given themselves up to what? To sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. We are 2,000 years later, and I'm so glad that we're so evolved and advanced in our, in our society. So much more advanced than when Paul was living, right? We all went to college, and we studied psychology and, and sociology, and we get degrees, and we get self-help, and we got spirituality now, and now we're, we are highly evolved and advanced, aren't we? No, <laughs> we are not, because you know where it ends up. They're naked, greedy, and practicing every kind of impurity. Does that sound familiar? Naked, greedy, and practicing every kind of impurity. Who does that talk about? Who is that describing our generation today? Do you know what the problem is? Oftentimes, it's not that people don't know the truth. It's that they don't like the truth, and that's the truth. Let's just say, for example, that Someone tells you, hey, you are drunk and you're driving and there's a cop in front of you. Now, you wouldn't say, I don't believe in him. I don't believe in cops. You, you, you wouldn't say that. That's just weird, right? You'd probably say, I don't like cops. Well, that's different. I don't like cops. Sure. But see, that sounds sort of rebellious, right? And so when people in our day and age are faced with the truth, they say stuff like, well, I don't know if I believe that. That's intolerant. I have a different ideology, I have a different spirituality, I have a different perspective. I think maybe that is primitive. And this is exactly what would happen if you read this passage to a lot of people today. Oh, how dare you? I don't see myself like that. Well, that's what I'd, I'd expect from a Gentile with a futile mind, darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God, marked by ignorance, hardness of heart, and callous. I don't see myself that way, but you should because God does. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. It really doesn't. We're going to die and stand before God, and he's going to render a, a, a verdict as to how he sees you, how he sees who you are and what you've done or what you failed to do. 
I know it's a hard message, but this is the message that we have in front of us. But enough, enough with the old you, right? I'd like us to continue with the passage, and what we're going to see is that, that this, is a, this is where Apostle Paul transitions from talking about old you, old us, to new you, new us. How awesome is that? And the first thing that we notice is that the new you is in Christ. There's no new you if it's outside of Christ. There's no new, no, no matter what, how you do things, how new the things that you do are, right? No, no. They are not new unless you are in Christ. The old you is away from Christ. The new you is in Christ. You can't be a new you apart from Christ. So let's continue with verse 20. And this is what Apostle Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. We live in a world where everybody wants to change, Right? You hear it on the radio, on podcasts, and we are trying every possible way except the only way that truly works. <laughs> so we try self-help, self-improvement, self-actualization, self-esteem, magazines, podcasts, books, trends, talk shows, counseling. The most important principle when it comes to truly changing is this. You ready for this? You can change all the things that you do, all of them, to an extent. But only Jesus can change who you are. Only Jesus can change you from the inside out, who you are. And once Jesus changes who you are, that changes what you do, how you act, how you speak, how you present yourself, how you think, how you make choices, how you love. Let's continue with verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him, Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He's really spelling this out for us. Now, none of us is born a Christian. None of us. None of us. Even though I was raised in a Christian home, I was not born a Christian. I was born a sinner. None of us is born with an innate knowledge of Jesus, right? No. You have to have this truth revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, and, and then you have to learn it, right? The second member of the Trinity who created the heavens and the earth took upon himself human flesh, entered into history through the womb of Mary as the God-man Jesus Christ. He lived without sin, right? He said he was God. He died on the cross. He substituted us, right, in, in, in our... In, in, in our place for our sins, our death went to him. His life went to us. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's ruling and reigning. He's Lord God, King, returning to judge the living and the dead and to establish a kingdom that will never end. Now, you don't just wake up on a Tuesday morning and be like, I just thought of that. You don't, <laughs> right? I thought of that when I was eating cereal this morning. Ah, it just kind of came to me. I never thought of that ever before, but it just came to me. No, you don't just figure that out. You don't. You don't just make this up. Somebody's got to teach it to you. Someone's got to reveal it to you, and someone's got to teach it to you. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. Well, you may know these truths, but you are reminded of these truths. But we need to learn it. So, friends, what this means is that Christianity right, requires humility to say, I don't know, and my speculation won't help me here. God's revelation with instruction from leaders and pastors and great, amazing, godly friends, that'll help. See, nobody just starts with a good theology or a good Christology. No one just, you know, out of the blue knows who God is and who God is in Christ. I didn't. You, you, you don't. Somebody has to teach us, and we have to learn it. Let's continue with verse 22. It gets really good. To put off your old self, do you hear that? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. To put off your old self. See, we love it in our day when there's a corrupt politician, there's a lot of those, and someone in leadership, right? And, and we get to say, oh, they're so corrupt. But Apostle Paul says everybody's corrupt. Some people just don't make the news. <laughs> We've never made the news. Your way of life is corrupt apart from a new life in Christ. That's just the reality. And then he says, through deceitful desires. That's how you're corrupt. Through deceitful desires. 
Let's unpack that for a few minutes here. We could spend so much time talking about our deceitful desires. Anyone want to just lead us? <laughs> just come up here and just kind of list them, right? Because we could be here for a long time. The simplest way of saying it is that apart from the Holy Spirit, our desires are deceitful. No matter how noble you think they are. I, I really want to walk out of my marriage, deceitful desire. I really want to click on that website, deceitful desire. We have lots of deceitful desires, and they're deceitful. You know why? Because they lie. It's kind of in the name. <laughs> they promise something that they, didn't, they, they cannot deliver. I'll give you an example with alcohol. Not, not all alcohol consumption is a sin. Jesus made wine. But what happens is some people struggle with alcoholism. It's a desire, a deceitful desire that involves alcohol. And the problem is that they really love alcohol, that they desire it. But it deceives them, and it only gets them into trouble. And the bottle says, hey, drink me, and I'll help you relax. Drink me, and I'll help you take the edge off. I'll, I'll, I'll help you forget. I'll help you sleep better. I'll put you in a better mood. Deceitful desires because the bottle never delivers what it promises. And that goes with every other sin and what it promises us. That's why Ephesians 5, check this out, this is so beautiful. That's why Ephesians 5, the very next chapter we're going to look at in the next few weeks, Apostle Paul is going to say, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's such a beautiful connection here. Don't get drunk and be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So much better, because only God can meet the deepest desires of the human soul. And only God delivers on His promises. The rest is all deceitful desires. We live in a culture where you hear people make statements like, follow your heart. I've, we've said this before. Follow your heart, man. See, the Bible would say it like this, and it really changes the meaning. Follow your deceitful desires. Uh, well, that kind of changes stuff, right? But if your heart has deceitful desires and you follow your heart, you're following your deceitful desires, right? And this is why we live in a community church. Because we have other people speaking to our lives. Because we need that. Because we all have deceitful desires that we're tempted with. That's why, church, we live in a community. That's why it's so important to show up every Sunday. That's why it's so important to show up at D groups and, and connect with your brothers and sisters because we all have deceitful desires and we need people, saints, to speak truth and to say, hey, that's a deceitful desire. Don't follow your heart because you'll ruin your life. It may look right to us. That's why we need godly people in church in our lives. Let's continue with verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What a beautiful sound. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Change, repentance, transformation. It starts in the mind with how you think, with how I think. If you think something is okay and God doesn't, you need to change your mind about it. That's just, it's simple in a way. Simple to understand it. <laughs> You need to change your mind. It takes a change of mind, and that will start to change your actions. That will start to change how you act, your activity, your behaviors. And in other words, what Apostle Paul is saying is your mind needs to be surrendered to God. Is your mind surrendered to God? Not just your body, but your mind. When you and God disagree, do you change your mind or you run away from him? Do you love the Lord your God with all your mind? Do you take your thoughts captive to obedience to Christ? Are you transformed by the renewing of your mind? And this doesn't just refer to non-believers, but this refers to us because sometimes we just, the things that are going on in here, up in here, is just crazy. This is the, the thoughts that, that, we, that we ponder on and the, the things that we're tempted with, the stress and the anxiety and, the, and, the, and all the scenarios that we just play in our mind. And my goodness, it's a whirlwind. But do you take your thoughts captive to obedience to Christ? Let's continue with the last verse, verse 24. 
and to put on the new self. So verse before, to put off, right? We're putting off something. We're going to bring it to, a, to, a, to an end. So in verse 24 it says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. This is so beautiful. I love this. There's your identity right there, church. There is our identity. Highlight it, memorize it, circle it, underline it. Please do that. These two words, new self, new self. Not old self, put that off and put on new self. We're not talking about self-help. I've said that already. Self-improvement, self-actualization, where it's the same old you with some new tricks and, and techniques, right, to try to manage the problems in our lives. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a totally, completely, thoroughly new you born again. That's what we're talking about here. The Bible uses the language of born again, regeneration, New creation, new person, new man, new life, new woman, new self, new you. You're genuinely new, but only in Christ. Not yet totally new. Not yet totally new. God's going to keep working on you, but your identity is as a new person. Kind of like a brand new baby, you know? Kind of like Eli. You still have a lot of learning. He doesn't know anything. Just eating and pooping. But they are new. He doesn't know much, but he is new. He even smells new. He does. He still has that baby smell, I think. Anyways. This is so radical when it happens in the Bible that sometimes people get new names. Abram to Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Cephas becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy transition. It's a crazy death to life. It's like you went to bed, and that person died, and you woke up, but somebody with the same driver's license is there, but from the inside out, you are new and in the process of being made new. It's kind of the best I can kind of describe it. For some people, this explains their life, and a lot of, a lot of us here too, which is awesome. Praise God. You hear people say, I struggled with this addiction for decades, and I haven't done anything like that in years. Why is that, man? Why is that? Why is that, friend? Well, I just met Jesus, and I don't want to. I just don't want to anymore. That's new in awesome ways, because Christians can be new in some weird ways. Emma and I are celebrating five years of marriage this year. I know it's not much. It's not much, five years. But sometimes you'll have conversations, weird conversations with people, and they'll ask, man, how do you stay faithful to her for five years? I mean, don't you want to be intimate with other women, you know? Like, Really? I'd be like, this is nothing. You should try talking to a genuine Christian who's been married for 50 years, right? Nevertheless, my answer would be because I really want to. That really helps in marriage, you know, <laughs> if you really want to. Anything else other than being faithful is going to bring a lot of pain and brokenness, and that's not even the main reason. I just, just wanted to throw that out there. The main reason is because God has saved me and made me a new person, and now I'm in Christ, and I live for the glory of God, period. That means that I get to live a new life, and God has given me new desires and a new mind, and that's what I want to do. Because, because of that, I want to get old with her, and I want to hold her hand and be her friend. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> right? Let's continue with the remainder of verse 24. We're getting ready to close. And to put on the new self, right? I just want to say that again. Created after the likeness of God, and here we go, in true righteousness and holiness. Ooh, I love that. Isn't it amazing that he puts righteousness and holiness at, at the end of the thought? See, religion usually starts with, you should be righteous. You should be holy. You're like, uh, okay, I feel guilty, but I'll, I'll try. But Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. Here's who you used to be. Here's who you are now. And here's what Jesus is doing in your life, right? And if you think rightly, you'll walk obediently and you'll live holy. It's a result of a relationship with Christ. And he says it's like changing your clothes. Put off, put on. You see that? Put off. Put on. So let's assume that you 
woke up this morning and we, we, you put off your, your pajamas and, and, and you, you put on your clothes. And, and we do that on a daily basis, right? And here's what I want us to do starting tomorrow. Every day as you clothe yourself physically. I want us to remember that Jesus has also clothed us spiritually. That's huge. It's big. And we know that at the cross, Jesus took our rags. He took my rags and clothed us in righteousness. And now I'm in right standing before a holy and a perfect God. My rags are gone. The blood of Christ is over me. I'm made righteous in the presence of a holy and a perfect God. And so as Jesus has done that for us spiritually, and we know that he has, we need to do that mentally. We need to remember that, that truth, this truth every single day, so that our identity determines our actions and our activity. Does that make sense? Do you know what helps with this? Oh, do you know what helps with this? Being in the Word all the time. Do you know what else helps with this? Being in prayer. Do you know what else helps with this? To, to really understand our identity is to be with one another, with the saints. Don't forsake in the meeting together on Sunday because this is what we're doing. One of the things that we're doing, hey, we're understanding deeper who we are in Christ, who he is and who we are so that we can live better for him. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it away from prayer and away from the word and away from the meeting with the saints. You cannot. When there's a major transition in your life, you change your clothes. You dress up a little bit, right? Let's say you join the army, the military, you, you, and you used to always walk in flip-flops and a pair of shorts and long hair, right? And now that you join the army, that long hair is going away, and you're not going to wear those flip-flops anymore, I'll tell you that. Now you're gonna, you look like someone who's going to walk in a new life. You, you used to be a, a, a civilian, but now you're a soldier, right? That's why we don't see guys running around the battlefield in flip-flops and capri pants. We may see that. Help us, God. It's crazy where we're going with Anyways, don't say much. Right? Trying to express themselves, hey, I'm an artist. No, 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 you're a soldier. You got to dress like it, Right? So the clothing indicates, oh, we see who you are now. Ah, okay. Similarly, on your wedding day, ladies, you wear a gown and a veil on your head. You don't have to, but I'm just saying it looks a little bit different, right? And what happens then is you, as you walk in as a single woman, and then you walk out as a married woman, right? Your father walks you down the aisle, and this is the beginning of a whole new life journey, right? And we mark that with maybe a white dress or a veil. You put off, you put on your new identity. The point is this, once you know who you are, then you know what to do so that we can act more and more like it. When you wake up tomorrow and you're clothing yourself physically, remind yourself of how Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, how Jesus Christ clothed you spiritually. I'm not guilty giving us examples how to dress. I'm not guilty. I'm forgiven. Why don't you dress like that in the morning? I'm not hated. I'm loved. And this is not a name it and claim it kind of thing. No, no, this is, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible promises. I'm not hated. I'm loved. I'm not far away. I'm brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm not alienated. I'm reconciled and now a son and a daughter of the Most High God. God is not against me. God is for me. God's not angry. He loves me. I don't need to pay God back. Jesus already paid my debt. I don't need to clean myself up. Why don't you dress up like that every morning? And there's just a, so much more. I need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done and live out of the new identity that he's given me. And I guarantee you, based on God's word, that you'll experience more victory over sin, more joy, and more peace if we clothe ourselves every morning with this truth that we're new in Christ. But be specific. That's why we have to read the word and know what's in the word so we can put on. Now, the reality is that a lot of Christians are struggling with this truth, let alone people in the world there are different kinds of people that are going to react differently when they hear this kind of message, put off, put on, right? 
And one of the groups are going, going to say, I'm already good enough. Ah, this is an overreaction, Ovi. Come on. You know, old me dies, new me rises, take off my old life, put on my new life, come. I'm a pretty good person, right? This seems to be a bit of an overreaction for people that are really wicked, for the murders, for the serial killers, really messed up people, right? The reality is that you're not good enough. God doesn't see people in terms of good and bad, but he sees people in terms of perfect and imperfect. Guess which bucket we're all in? Imperfect. Jesus was the only perfect one. God sees everyone in one category and then Jesus in the other. Imperfect, imperfect. Just being a religious, moral person won't cut it or a decent uh, citizen just won't cut it. That's not acceptable in God's sight. Some other people in hearing this message, they would say, and this would be the secular religious group. There's a lot of that going on today. Yes, the world is filled with sin and evil. Yes, Ovi, thank you for saying that. And it's a good thing that we're here with our organized group to fix it and to make a difference because we love causes and we have our cause on our shirts and we just love it. We're so passionate about our causes. This is self-righteousness. It's proud. Just so you know, you're not the first person to think like that because the problem is not just out there, it's in here too. And more than causes, we need Christ. There's another group that when they hear this message, they'll say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm very spiritual, Ovi. Thank you for bringing this up. And yes, we need to change, Ovi. We need to evolve into a higher state of consciousness, right? And you know, the problem in the universe is that things are not aligned and the energy is not flowing in the right direction. We need to rearrange stuff in our houses and for, for this energy to go our way, right? No. These are people that are chasing new trends all the time with a veneer of spirituality. There's always a new book. There's always a new guru. He, here's what it is. It's a market gimmick and game to just sell you products that won't work until you die. And then it may be too late to surrender your life to Christ. There's another group that are devoutly religious. And, and, and their reaction would be, yes, I need to be more self-disciplined. I need to be more self-organized. I need to have more self-ability to govern my life. I need to obey more. If by chance you find yourself in this group, the problem may be in the fact that you say the word you a lot and not Jesus enough. You don't say things like, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Jesus, thank you for clothing me in righteousness. Jesus, thank you for changing me. Jesus, thank you for hearing me. Jesus, could you help me, please? It's like you're performing for God as if God should be impressed with you. That's not the kind of relationship that the father has with his kids. He's there to help them. Just know that. And lastly, some people will just respond with no hope at all. No hope at all. Ovi, look, I've tried a lot of things. I've tried to fix my life. Look, I just don't think it's for me. The things I've done, I don't know how I can undo all of them. Hmm. In fact, here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. The man who writes Ephesians, right, he writes Philippians 2. Here's what he says in, in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I don't know where you find your identity this morning, even as you came to church, right? It can be in so many things in people. Maybe in the fact that you're pretty good or, or a bad person or, or a weak person or a strong person, a winner, a loser, I'm desirable, I'm undesirable, I'm okay with God, I'm not okay with God, you know, whatever that thing is, you need to first, I think, name your current and present identity. Just, you got to examine yourself. What do you place your identity in? Your kids? Your, and we have identities as, as fathers and husbands, but those are secondary identities. Our primary identity needs to be in Christ. And what happens is we arrange those. We rearrange those. We put our identity in other things in, 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 in people. Paul does this. He actually he, 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 uh, names his current and present identity. He says Jewish family. He says good boy, great school. He knew Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day, great family bloodline. Very zealous, very committed, tithe 10%, maybe even more. He checked all the boxes. Paul's identity was great, some might say. Moral, devout, accomplished, religious person. Not too many people can beat that if we are to, you know, compare resumes. Now, this will shock some people because after he meets Jesus, after he gets a new mind, he sees things differently. 
And he gets a new heart and he gets new desires, right? And a new power through the, through the you know, person of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 8. All of this I consider rubbish. Some will translate it trash. Some will translate it dung. Next time you take the trash out, remember, and it stinks, identity apart from Christ. Next time you're out for a walk and somebody's dog left a pile and it's graphic, identity apart from Christ. Identity apart from Christ. No, no matter how noble it may seem. That's what Paul is saying. Really quickly at the end here. Let me give us three quick application points. Number one. If you're not a new creation, if you're not a new person in Christ, there's an opportunity today to be made new. So receive it. The first thing, receive it. What I'm actually saying is if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, receive him first. That's the first step. What I'm asking is have you met Jesus and are you born again? Are you new? Number two, I want all of us to understand our new identity so that we don't spend 50 years of our, of, of our Christian walk without knowing who we are. Understand your identity. That means that you got to get deep into the Word. You got to be with God's people. You got to be praying. You got to do all those things to help us out. We got to understand who we are. And number three, I want us to walk in it. Walk in it more. Start making very practical decisions. What you eat, how you drink, where you live, what you wear, who you date, who you marry, how you raise your kids, how you spend your money, what you watch, what websites you click on, all of that, right, that's part of our walk. That's part of you walking in your identity. And one question that will help with that is, does a child of God watch this kind of movie? Does a child of God click on this website? Um, would dressing like this bring honor to my Father in heaven? Church, let me summarize our big idea again. God changes us, so we change how we act. God changes our minds, so we change how we think. God changes our desires, so that we change what we long for. And then three practical application points. Receive Jesus, if you haven't. And then make sure you understand your identity. And then number three, walk in it on a daily basis, being very practical. Would you stand with me, please? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.